You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Hello, Facebook. Sorry for the delay. There was some things going on with the stream key that Facebook was doing, but I'd like to welcome everybody to the Drawing Board Podcast, where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Uh, this I am your host tonight. Uh, due to the inclement weather, my guest that was scheduled was not able to make it. But, hey, we're going to have some personal one-on-one time. So wanted to talk to you about relationships tonight. And prior to me going into the full dialogue or discussion or thought about relationships, I wanted to give a shout-out to Dawson Elementary Middle School, where I serve as the Dean of Culture, of Clim- Culture excuse me, the Dean of Culture and Climate. And we went had a phenomenal event. The students showed up yesterday, and you know yesterday was cold. Uh, the blistering weather, uh, they came out in numbers. And we had a full event. Parents were there. Uh, the community mem- members showed up. We had the Brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated also show up. And we had about three busloads of students and families uh, to come to the school. And then we went down to the Charles H. Wright Museum. Here's my advocacy for the Charles H. Wright Museum. Uh, The membership begins at $35, and I believe it's $10 for students. So if you haven't been down to the Charles H. Wright Museum, or if you've only been down there when the school has taken you, you need to go ahead and get yourself a membership there because that is a museum specifically that caters towards African-Americans and and holds our heritage, our history, our legacy. Uh, There was a provoking conversation about Dr. King, uh, some facts surrounding his assassination. I encourage you to look that up. Or if they have it taped, that you go ahead and talk to the Charles H. Wright Museum where you can learn more about that. But the Charles H. Wright Museum, they welcome us with so much grace. Uh, Our children were able to walk around and to engage all of the art there. Uh, They were able to, you know, hear the live music that was there. They were able to engage with the community members and some of the other organizations that had come out. Uh, The Alpha Esquires, which is the youth mentoring group of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, they stepped out there and they did their stepping and they did an awesome job. The brothers from the Epsilon chapter, the fifth house of Alpha, they were there from U of M. Uh, They stepped and did what they did best. If you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you know I posted. You can check it out there. And then also, you would have been so proud of uh, the students of Dawson. They got up and they expressed uh, themselves in a way that is character to them. They made raps about Dr. Martin Luther King. And one of my favorite quotes by Dr. King says, If you cannot fly, then run. If you cannot run, then walk. If you cannot walk, then crawl. But by all means, keep moving. So, Uh, When they wrapped that out, it was great. Then they were saying, you know, how Dr. King, his dream is not just for himself, but for us. And it's time for us to start taking that serious, the mandate on our life to improve life for other people. Uh, Dr. King said our life begins to end when we stop being vocal about those things that matter. So we have to speak up and speak out about that. But tonight, tonight is about relationships. So what facets of relationships can I talk about tonight? Uh, well, I'll talk about those that are character to me. So I am a husband. 
of going on 15 years. Yes, we have been married 15 years. And I know a lot of people, when they say years, uh, they start, you know, they clap, they applaud, they give a lot of praise. But I also want to encourage you to know that, like, that journey of 15 years, man, it was beautiful. There were ups, there were downs, there were lefts, there were rights. There was uh, extreme success and triumph. There were great struggles and challenges. But what didn't happen is nothing broke our unity. You know, um, the Bible says, you know, whom God have put us together, let no man put asunder. So this is for uh, maybe some married couples that are looking on. Uh, the trials will come. The emotions will come. The uh, fragility of someone's feelings will, will happen. Or somebody might just say, I'm in my feelings today. Some people might feel like they're walking on eggshells because your spouse or your mate is going through all type of different challenges or changes. But hey, go with the flow and make sure that your relationship is built upon a solid foundation. Now, here's one thing about uh, marriage for me and what I believe makes my marriage work uh, besides the fact that my wife is a wonderful person. Shout out to my wife, Shalisa, beautiful. You're going to see tomorrow my WCW, my boo, my good thing, my fine one. You know, uh, I like to say she is the feminine expression of my masculinity. Uh, just shouting my wife out. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I was listening to my pastor talk and we it was talking about she was talking about relationships. And the one thing that I think is great is that my wife and I are submitted to the same authority, uh, submitted to the same authority as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have no conflict when it comes to the principles by which we live by. Uh, the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So my wife and I are in agreement with what the word of God says, even when maybe our actions, our attitudes and our behavior uh, may fall short of what the word of God says. We both hold ourselves accountable to what the word of God says. And, you know, in those times when you might be a little heated, that may not be when you want to hear the word at that time. But you have to be open to having a dialogue and a discussion and you have to keep open lines of communication. Here's the interesting thing about that is that when it comes to my marriage in particular and probably your marriage or your relationship as well, we are communicating, but we are communicating so differently that sometimes one may be accused of not communicating or not articulating themselves. But silence is a communication. It may say, listen, I don't want to speak at this time. Uh, I may lack the maturity at this time to say something that won't hurt your feelings. And so uh, I'm, I am a person I love to converse. I love to uh, challenge thoughts. I love to have that dialogue, that discussion to create a diatribe of understanding. And my wife is more quiet than I am. I guess that I talk so much sometimes. Uh, some one of us has to, no, I'm joking. But uh, what ends up happening is uh, what I've learned to do is I've learned to listen and I have learned to sit back and to digest because I process information very fastly. When it comes to me, uh, I, I ingest it. I'm one who can hear it. I break it down analytically. You know, by that time, there are probably three or four different positions that I've taken on it. Uh, but what I have learned to do and what has brought harmony and unity in my marriage is when we sit and talk, uh, I'm doing more of the listening than I am replying. Uh, I always listen. I listen with a, a very uh, critical ear. 
uh, sometimes because I'm listening to not just what's being said, but I'm also listening to what's not being communicated. And if you are like me, sometimes it is a challenge for you to see it from the other person's perspective. Uh, my pastor in our marriage counseling has always said, put yourself in the other person's shoes and then begin to look at the situation. And you'll see sometimes if you're empathetic to what's happening and your perspective is correct, because it's not to prove who's right and who's wrong, but the goal is to get back to that harmonized point of unity. Now, you know, I'm talking to somebody out there. You were throwing those rabbit punches and fighting with your spouse the other day to articulate and prove that you were right. And so in this moment, if I said to you, OK, you were right. Well, well what do you really gain from that point to prove that your spouse was wrong? You have the bragging rights that you were right about something. But my question is, what did that do to your relationship? What position did that put you all in to move forward together as one? Because oneness and unity should be the new goal. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. Unity should be the new sexy for 2019. Uh, when you are with your spouse, I know you're working on your beach body and all of that, but you can be cut like a fine diamond or you can be shaped like a Coca-Cola bottle and uh, you might be eye candy and everything else to those uh, when you might be on his arm or, he, you know, he might be, uh, like they said, in coming to America, he might be your sexy chocolate, sexy chocolate. No, I'm joking. But uh, when it boils down to it, after all of the surface things, what is the real substance of your relationship? Like, does friendship, is that part of your relationship? Or are you living with someone that you haven't taken the time to get to know? Interesting, interesting thing about my marriage, and I was saying it at first because, you know, I thought it sounded really good, but it was true. I told my wife, I said, I am so into you that I want to invest a lifetime getting to know you. And I said that at the very beginning of our marriage, and it is true. I had no idea that she would become a million different people between the first day we married and up to going on this 15 year. And guess what? Myself as well. I am not the same guy that she married in 2004. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. And when it boils down to it boils down to this, uh, you have to be in tune enough with your spouse to see those differences. I can tell by just the way that my wife walks into a room, um, you know, how she's doing because I'm paying attention. I want to make sure that she is doing well and anything that I can do to help her in that position, that is what I'm looking to do. Anything that I could do to make her day better, uh, anything that I can do to let her know, hey, girl, I see you. I see exactly what's going on with you. What's happening? I'm paying attention to you. What can I do to make your day better? And some of you might say, no, I'm not into all of that, Ebron. I'm not, I'm not doing all of that. Well, that might be some of the reasons that you're having a little bit of a challenge. And um, I'll tell you. So some people wonder. They say, well, Ebron, how did you meet your wife? Well, I graduated from a school, a Cornerstone Christian College Preparatory School, and it was this uh, kind of like rites of passage to help us focus when we're getting ready to go off to college or our different endeavors. Uh, we There was a like a, a chastity ceremony where we, we got like promise rings or commitment rings to keep ourselves chaste uh, while we were in school. Because, hey, I'm telling you, listen, let's be honest, sex is a major distraction. And sometimes it once that occurs, uh, the whole relationship is based upon the quality of 
the sexual encounter. Well, when you're being chased, you can think a lot more clearly. You can think a lot better. Uh, and it allows you to form a foundational relationship that's based around your personality, your values, and your beliefs. So this is what I did. Here's the secret sauce. I started forming, I would only engage in platonic relationships. And if someone was not willing to engage in a platonic relationship, then they definitely could not be ready to engage with me in a romantic relationship. Because if we cannot sit and have a conversation If we cannot uh, begin to laugh at the same things or understand how one thinks and feels like, why should I invest that much time into a relationship that's not going anywhere? And here's the thing. Right now, some of you all are booed up. Ellie may booed up with people who really don't even care how you feel, what you think or what's happening. But what they are attracted to is how you make them feel when they're around you. So. I ask you this question. Is that all that you have to have to offer Uh, the ability to make somebody else feel better while you get nothing out of the relationship? Or are you that person who fundamentally there are two type of people? You are a giver or a taker. Um, Which one are you? Are you someone who says and you got this long list and said, this is what I want my mate to look like, which is great. Pray over that list. Go ahead and write the vision. Make it plain. I believe in all of that. But I also think you should make another column and say, this is the type of wife or husband that I'm going to be. And this is what I will supply. And this is what I will provide to my spouse or my mate, because I don't want to just be in a position of receiving. But I also want to reciprocally give. And people get exhausted and frustrated when they're it could be business. It could be uh, romantic. It can be platonic where the position is not reciprocal, where you're doing all of the giving, all of the giving, and you get exhausted because you know when that phone rings and you see that person's number, they're not calling to deposit anything into your life, but they're only interested in what it is that you can give. So my wife and I, we used to have a little contest, and we do it to this day. Uh, We wanted to see who could give each other the most, like who could love each other the most. I know it sounds corny. I've heard it. They said, Ebron, you're a cornball. It's okay. It works for us. And uh, we would compete. And so we would try to outgive each other and we would try to, you know, figure out who was thinking about each other the most. Uh, I'll have a a little guilty admission here. I I think I won most of the time. I did. I think I did. Don't tell her. All right. I know we're on uh, international live streaming and I'm on Facebook, but don't tell her. I think I won. I'm still winning. I'm in the lead, baby. Um, But what ends up happening in that moment is like you're always thinking about your spouse And when you're making your life plans, especially when you're talking about getting married, and I'm spending a considerable amount of time on this because I'm seeing more and more of my friends engaging into uh, these marriages, but they are not building a strong foundation that's allowing them to avoid divorce. And I just always say, and I want you to know that marriage is a choice. It is not something that you have to do. But when you choose to do it, at least let your motives be correct. And I can hear people saying it right now. Well, Ebron, sometimes things just happen. You know, people get divorced. Uh, They could, you know, they had irreconcilable differences. There was nothing. Yes, uh, I have seen that occur. 
And I'm not advocating for anybody to maintain those extremes uh, or those polarities where uh, they're being totally neglected and they're not getting any attention and their spouse uh, is being hurtful in the words that they're using that is leading to some type of abuse financially, physically, emotionally, mentally. Not all of that. Let's let's exclude that, because if that is occurring, of course, you need to do what's best for your mental health, your physical health, your support. You don't need to be in that type of situation. But what I am saying is if we have some personality differences and if there are some little nuances about how we screw the top on a toothpaste, all my married folks, you know, uh, if somebody squeezed the toothpaste in the middle and you're used to squeezing the toothpaste at the end, that becomes a big thing sometimes when it's not even the big thing, but it becomes a big thing. Or if you are the one who here's here's a big one, married people, if you use the last of the toilet paper. And you don't put a new roll on. Hey, listen, I know that might have sounded a little graphic and you may have got some imagery, but it is a real thing. And or here's the other thing. All right. I know. Prepare yourself. If you use the last of something and put it back in the refrigerator, you saying, why didn't you just why didn't you just throw that away? Or what my wife is notorious for my wife. Listen. Uh, Mary Red, I'm calling you out. She makes what's called Jamaican greens and it has shrimp in it and it is delicious and she doesn't make it all the time. So I made a special request for these Jamaican greens. And when it comes to food, I'm not really like a big foodie, but it's certain things that I like and I eat them when I'm when I'm ready to eat them. So you know how you prepare your palate. So I prepared my palate to go eat these Jamaican greens that Mary made specifically for me, Shalisa. She made she made them for me. And so I see my wife eating a bowl. Okay, hey, I can share the first bowl. All right, no problem. And I hadn't got to them yet. Well, then I come in about maybe an hour or so later, and I see her eating a second bowl. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So then when I go to get my bowl, there's little to none left. Was I upset? Absolutely. Because, and then it was at the point where it was so, there was so little left that I was like, you know what? I'm not going to even tease myself. She can go ahead and polish off the bowl. I'm done with it. And these are some of the things that some of the largest arguments come from. I have uh, I used to eat vanilla Oreos uh, a lot. That was my treat, you know, to myself. You can have everything else in the house, but these vanilla Oreos belong to me. I bought a new pack one day and I had it sitting in the cupboard. You know, I don't I, I pre-plan when I'm going to enjoy my desserts. Um, but what ends up happening, I look up one day, I lift up my pack of Oreos and half of my Oreos are gone. I said, Shalice, what happened to my Oreos? She said, oh, baby, the kids needed a snack for lunch. I said, now, hold on, hold it, hold it. Out of all of these snacks that are in here, I'm talking about fruit, roll-ups, Twizzlers, all of this. They had to eat my vanilla Oreos. Can you tell I'm still a little salty about it? It's okay. Pray for me. All right. But what ended up happening is uh, you begin to build new priorities surrounding what you choose to engage in different arguments about. And I will tell you this. And Dr. Ivy Hilliard, uh, I heard him say this when he was talking about raising his children, but also uh, in the different uh, ups and downs when he was talking on marriage and his wife and their life together, uh, do not allow anything to break the unity in your household. So here's the question. I'll pitch a question to you. Are you more interested 
in preserving, sustaining, uplifting, and strengthening your relationship? Or are you so caught up in your emotions, because emotions are a real thing, that you would be willing to destroy your relationship over a simple issue or misunderstanding? I'll wait for you to answer that. Yeah, think about it. Think about it. And then let me segue to this. When you're building a life together, and especially like us, when we our children are 18 months apart, uh, you you cannot forget the fun. Like if you're not having your regular date night, let me tell you, when our kids were eight, they were 18 months apart. And when one went to sleep, the other one woke up uh, when one needed to be changed. The other one had just been changed. We could be on our way to church and all of a sudden big mess uh, throw up on the dress or on the suit. and We had to stop and change or we're in the car and one is just uh, inconsolable and crying and all of these things are happening, and then mom's home. Uh, she's been working all day, and then I've been out working all day, or vice versa. If dad is home and mom is out working all day, or you all are have different shifts that you have the kids, by the end of the night, I know you all are exhausted. But here's the thing. you got to remember what got the party started. It was the husband and wife, not the mom and dad. Sometimes you have to stop being his children's mother and remember, you got to dress it up, keep it sassy, keep it sexy, and be his wife. And brothers, you got to make sure that you clean up. Make sure that you get sharp. Keep a keep a haircut or make sure you keep your your, your hygiene and your, your nails clipped and everything together uh, for all of the gentlemen and brothers that are working hard. I know sometimes uh, you may think, oh, I just need some me time. And, that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But what you have to realize is that you have to continue to invest into your wife that time that it takes to build relationship. I'll say that again. You have to make sure that you're investing in your wife the time that it has taken to build that relationship. I heard Dr. Miles Monroe say that women are, are, are incubators, which means they take whatever you give them and they produce something greater. So if you give a woman a seed, they produce a baby. If you give a woman a house, they produce a home. If you give, uh, he said, if you give a woman trouble, she'll give you hell. You know, <laughs> here are some of the things that he was articulating. But the main point that he was making is that whatever you sow, you're going to reap in a greater way. Same thing for ladies to brothers. Um, whatever you're sowing into his life, you're going to also reap. I know he is the priest. He is the provider. He is the protector. But I have a question for you. Are you a safe place to land for him when he's feeling broken and hurting and he's been out fighting for the family all day long? Are you a safe place to land for him? Uh, I went to a manpower conference back in 2008 and Bishop Jake was, excuse me, Bishop Jakes was talking about um, how sheep don't drink from running water, from like racing water. They only drink from still water because their their wool is so heavy laden that when that water is moving, if they cannot see their reflection, that wool will get wet and it will sweep them down in the current. And so the question that I have for you is when he looks at you, are you still water or are you racing water? Uh, are you helping to bring solutions or are you still just front loading problems? Are you someone he can co-generate with to build a future with? Or are you presenting yourself as a liability and another problem that he has to fix? Oh, that sounded rough, but that's not what I what I mean by that. What I mean is, 
are you a safe place for him to land? I know you're saying, give me some Bible on that, Ebron. All right, well, listen, Samson knew what Delilah was all about. He knew what she wanted to do, cut his hair, cut his locks, take his strength. But he said he had no safe place to lay his head. And what did she do? She provided. It wasn't a safe place. We clearly see that. But she provided a place for him to lay his head. So, sisters, my question to you, and I put it out there. If somebody could put it in the comments. Are you a safe place for him to rest his head? My God, dad, in Indiana, the apostle, Dr. Oscar J. Dowdell Underwood Jr., he told me this when I was looking for a wife. He said, you'll know she's the one when she can love the little boy that's inside of you and still respect the man that you are. I can hear some people saying, I hear you talking back through the screen. I can feel it. You say, oh, I'm not raising no little boy. Well, inside of every person. There is a degree of immaturity of some things that you haven't quite yet resolved. Uh, there is some things, there are some things uh, inside of you that you're yet processing through. There might even be some, and it's not negative, some new adventures that you may just be, as far as the total picture, you may be ignorant of the knowledge that's needed to be successful in those endeavors. So you approach it with like childlike faith and knowledge and you stumble and you blunder through it because you're trying to find your way. Can your spouse make a mistake and not hear about it for the next five weeks? Can your spouse make a mistake and then not come up in every argument? Uh, do you have the capacity before you even get in a relationship? Hold the press. Stop the music. Everyone stop dancing. Do you have the capacity to forgive? If you don't, relationships are not going to be your thing. If I can tell you how many times that I've had to forgive my wife and my wife has had to forgive me uh, for misspeaking or saying something we didn't mean or, you know, having immature moments uh, just because of what we're going through. Absolutely. And here's the one thing that we noticed when we used to get into little spats, it was not even about the situation. It wasn't about arguing with one another. It was about pressure and stress that we were feeling. So you, you couldn't argue with your boss. So you come home and you argue with your mate. You didn't want to go off on the person who maybe cussed you out or said something at school. And so you come home and you have an argument with your spouse. Somebody say no more of that. OK, good. So now let's talk about my other role which is being a father. Man, if I could, and I will put it in the book, but uh, called The Journey Matters, but being a father and firstly being a husband, but being a husband and a father, those are my like two, uh, my proudest accomplishments in my entire life. Uh, one, because I grew up around a lot of female dominated single parent households where the men were absent and the men were derelict of their responsibilities. Uh, they weren't around. And so I was around a lot of strong sisters, a lot of uh, strong women who were, you know, doing what they needed to do to take care of their family. But I also got a chance to see them like go through certain sicknesses and go through certain pain. And I've seen them cry certain tears because 
honestly, they were carrying more weight than they were intended to carry. And listen, I never heard them complain. They just always, even while crying, they moved forward. They kept providing for their families. They kept providing for their children. And not one time did I ever hear my mother say to me that she had to be mother and father. No, but she did. She was one heck of a mother and is one heck of a mother. A person who, you know, spoke life to my manhood and my strength by exposing me to strong men in my community, exposing me to my pastor, exposing me to the brothers at the church, exposing me to my baseball coaches at Village Park, um, exposing me to men who different avenue where I used to bowl. And she would allow the different men to be around my life to to help shape and to mold what manhood would look like for me. Uh, but the challenge is I had always seen how people fathered in public and I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted to be that because it looked like a great position to hold where they were rearing their children and the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And they were the providers. They were the, the source of strength for their family. But I had never seen what it looked like in private. Like, what is it? What does fatherhood look like in private? Like, I know you're not touting all day. So what does that look like behind closed doors? What should you be doing? And, you know, are you supposed to be the first one up in the morning? Uh, should you be the one, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, the, the breakfast is made? Should you be the one that's providing for the family uh, a clear path through that snow that we have here in Michigan now? Absolutely. All of those things. Uh, the thing about it is uh, a man serves his family in whatever capacity they need. So, yes, I can get in the kitchen and, and let me tell you, I can make a mean breakfast, lunch, dinner. I can bake. Uh, thanks to Jeanette Ebron, who helped me out and gave me all of those skills. Plus, brothers, let me tell you, when you're balling on a budget, OK, hear me, hear me clearly. When you're balling on a budget, you have to know how to cook. It's the small things, you know, you have to. And that's a large thing. But you need to be able to go in the kitchen and whip something up and go ahead and provide that that opportunity uh, to say that I invested the time to make sure that your palate was satisfied with the love that I expressed through the food that I made. Receive it. Eat it. Let's pray over it and let's have a good conversation. Yeah, don't try to take my line. I know it was good. Go ahead. Uh, but what I am going to say is uh, as a father. Switching gears, I was like, I told my pastor when my my daughter was being born, I said, Pastor, the only thing I know about fatherhood is like the pain that I feel from not having my father in my life. And my pastor told me, he said, son, you're going to get to know God as a father. And through the Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you what to do. So at her word, I believed it. And I took that on and I just said, okay. Let me venture out in this fatherhood piece. She said, my pastor said, son, you know how to love. Just love your family. And let me tell you, seeing my daughter grow up, and I have to shout her out, Christian just received her first medal. Uh, she performed her first solo ensemble uh, at Rochester High School over this past weekend. And being a father, yes, we, my wife and I, being parents, we got up. We had to be out at Rochester High School at 730 in the morning, and we were there to encourage her and to cheer her on and to make sure she knew that she had our support. And that meant so much for me to be there for my daughter 
uh, everything that she's doing uh, when she's in school doing well, when she has questions that she has uh, regarding life and relationships or uh, ministry or why I do what I do or when I'm just dialoguing with her or when we're up uh, dancing and maybe doing like the D-Lo shuffle or uh, the new running man or the shoot or the any of those new dances. I, I stay relevant, stay current on those dances, A, because I work in a school, but b- because B, I want to invest in, in what the culture is for them at this point so that I'm not just advising them from a position outside of the culture, but I understand them. I understand what it is that they're doing, uh, that I'm invested in the things that they like as well before I give them a chance to level up and be introduced to other things that could expand their cultural point of view. You have to invest first, and then you can place a demand upon what you've, what you've invested. So being a dad is like the most awesome thing. Uh, being a father and a husband, wow. My son, Andre, man, he has made me so proud, uh, particularly in these last couple of days. I've had a great last couple of days uh, without having to tell my son uh, to shovel the snow. He's 11. Uh, we were leaving, getting ready to leave. Now, you got to know, we, we had to be somewhere at 730. So my son was up with me and he said, Dad, I'm going to shovel the front porch and the sidewalk. So when Christian, which is his sister, when she comes out, her feet won't get wet and she won't have to worry about that the entire time that she's performing for her solo ensemble. This was his own initiative, his own accord. And I was just lifting my hands and thanking God and saying, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So starting to see some of the harvest of the investment that we made. Um, Being a dad is also humbling. Uh, Before I had my daughter, all my brothers out there, all the men out there who have daughters, you can attest to this. Daughters will change your life. I mean, my daughter changed my life, Uh, changed the way that I spoke, changed the things that uh, I would do. I mean, from the time that we brought her home from the hospital, I'm one who during the winter or the the summer, whatever, I can have my air condition going or my heat going. But it's something about that fresh air. I just I just love that fresh air. So I'll have a little crack in the window. And when she was first born, we were bringing her home. She's making all this little noise in the background. I was like, what's going on with her? So my wife said, I think it's because the window is down. I said, oh, no way, no way. This baby is not making this noise because I got this little breeze coming in. She said, well, roll it up and see see if uh, see if it makes a difference. So, listen, I, I with great hesitation and reservation, uh, you know, I was very young. I was 23, so I got married at 21 uh, just because I loved my wife. I was looking for my wife. God bless me with a wife. And so I got married at 21. And so at 23, we had our, I had my first child. So I said, well, let me roll this window up. So I rolled the window up and the noise stopped. So she has been telling me what to do. My daughter has been telling me what to do ever since the first day she was born. That's what daughters do. Brothers, get used to it. I know you might try this, have this tough guy roll, but no, you you are wrapped around her finger. Uh, you will get up in the middle of the night if she wants something. You will go do whatever it is she asks you to do. You will change your clothes if she says, Dad, what do you have on? All right. <laughs> So just make sure you embrace that because that father-daughter relationship, man, I'm telling you, there, there's nothing like it. And my little guy, or he likes to say he's not little Dre. He's uh, big Dre, and I'm bigger Dre. So uh, my son, 
I see so much of myself reflected in him. I'm talking about everything. So he has kind of like my personality, a uh, very outgoing uh, life of the party, wants to get involved, always dancing and having fun and laughing and cracking jokes, uh, but a c- very compassionate heart. To see yourself reflected in someone else so strongly, it blows my mind every single day from the way that he walks to uh, just the whole gape of his laugh and the way that he he expresses love. Like, man, it, it blows my mind and it humbles me. And when I look at my children, I do know like that God loves me in a major way uh, because he has entrusted me with one of the greatest opportunities. And that is to multiply his love in the earth by teaching my children his ways. And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I'm humbled at that. And I don't take that for granted. And I make sure that I steward that properly. I was talking to my wife uh, just recently. And since our daughter turns 13, January 28th, I'm like, wow, babe, we literally have about five years before she's graduating high school. And Andre is 11, but he'll be 12 in July. I said, we have five and six years before our children are off, you know, uh, pursuing things to develop their future life. And I'm man, I was like, man, I have more time behind me than I do in front of me. And so I just make sure even when I talk to other dads, I say, hey, man, we have one chance, one time to get this right. So we have to give it everything that we have. This is why we sacrifice. This is why we give. This is why we stay up the long nights. This is why we get up the early mornings. This is why we display the proper character before our children, because they're not going to just do what you say. They're going to do what you do. They, they are going to become who you are. And I hear a lot of people say that they want better for their children, but they're not invested in their own personal development. Like our children have to outrun us. And no matter how you position them in different realms to accomplish different things and be exposed, like no matter you are their hero, they want to become you or you have positioned yourself in a certain way where you have attitudes, beliefs and uh, and and ways they say, listen, I don't want to be anything like you. And they reject the notion uh, not of who you are to them, but of how you've been to them. And you're talking to somebody who has been helping people, children and families uh, really for my entire life, working with my mom uh, when she was a social worker, helping families understand what a healthy relationship looks like. Here's the third question. How do you define a healthy relationship? That's good. Think about that. Let's ponder that. Do you define a healthy relationship by by proven principles? Do you define healthy relationship relationships by the example that you've had? Is it an is it an amalgamation of the both? Uh, are you looking afar or looking at people on Instagram and Facebook and you're saying relationship goals, but you have no idea how they interact with each other actually? Uh, are you identifying different needs and wants in a relationship based upon like your the deficits you had growing up as a child? What like what is it that's that's shaping your definition of healthy relationship? Well, for the purpose of this exchange and this dialogue, I'd like to say that respect is the currency of all relationships. 
And if someone that c- cannot respect what you feel, your thoughts, your beliefs, as well as your dreams, that's not a healthy relationship. I think that a lot of us engage in unhealthy relationships because we feel almost like it's a, a badge of altruism uh, to help someone or in a lot of ways to lord over them based upon their deficiencies. Uh, it's like someone who is healthy continuing to surround themselves, who has semi-health to surround themselves with people who are really sick. And like, well, yeah, I'm sick, but I'm not as sick as somebody else. And so your relationship with them always reminds you of the good in you and it magnifies the negative in them. Mm. Or your flavor of love is based upon like the abuse that you may have suffered. And so it's not love until it hurts. I'm sorry to tell you, uh, First Corinthians talks about love. And so I shape a healthy definition of love based upon 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. And I'm reading the New International Version. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So love is all those things that I just mentioned there it's kind, it's patient. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongdoing. Uh, It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. And this is what I wonder to all of my people that are, are not married yet. All of my single people who are in these long term, long standing relationships that keep going like in the same cyclical pattern. Like what? Why is why are you engaged in that relationship? I know it might sound a little old fashioned because some people believe that marriage is not a necessity of long term relationships. And some of you all uh, have come up in the day when common law marriage said, listen, you've been together so long, you might as well just call yourself having been married. Yeah. okay. I hear what you're saying. I understand your perspective. Uh, Some people say that marriage is just a piece of paper, a legal contract. Okay. I understand that as well when we're dealing with these natural terms. And I'm not uh, ignorant that my personal convictions of my faith influence how I see marriage, Uh, because marriage is a union of two people becoming one, uh, which reflects it is the greatest reflection of Christ in the church. And so when I when I talk about two becoming one, there's some things that have to change in our character, uh, in the same way that the church had to change its traditional precepts, principles, beliefs, views, when this new dispensation of grace came in. So the law said all of this legalism, you know, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, 
these different critical things. And some of you have relationships like that, where it's very legalistic, where it's very by the law. Whatever you do for do to me, I'm going to do to you, whether it's tit for tat. Uh, if you've done wrong, then I'm going to do wrong. It, I feel justified in doing so. Watch this, because I have to get you back. I understand. You know, you can flip it and reverse it. You can do all of these other things to it. But if you are retaliating, it is not from a healthy place. It's not from a healthy place. It's from a place where you are hurting. And what you need to do is you need to embrace the love of God. Here's something that I love about my wife. I love the fact that she is a worshiper. I mean, listen, that girl can worship. I mean, she loves God. She is a powerhouse when it comes down to her relationship with God and uh, getting prayers answered and getting revelation from God. And I mean, there is nothing to this day that my wife and I have come in agreement about that we have not seen God answer. Well, you may say, oh, well, that's you all. No, we're activating a, a spiritual truth that said, if any two of you touching as agreeing on anything of this earth, whatever you ask, guess what? It shall be done of the Father which is in heaven. So we activate that power of agreement. But here's, here's, here's the thing. When I saw the way that she worshiped and her conviction to God and her love for God, I knew she would have no problem loving me. Because if I operate in that same tender, compassionate, and yet strong love that God expresses to- toward her through me, she has no problem with reciprocating that love. When I look at my children, even though, yes, they're, they're my children, like God has entrusted them under my care and they belong to him. That's why we consecrate and we dedicate our kids back to the Lord because they have a purpose that is far greater than anything that I can ask, think or imagine. So when I think about them, I cannot handle them in a way as if they only belong to me because God's purpose for them coming across my path is teaching and instruction and compassion and love and to raise them in a fear and an admonition to be productive citizens on this earth, but to be kingdom ambassadors. So the Ebrons, we have a very king. We have a kingdom agenda. And that means that we are focused on loving God and loving people. When you thought about relationships, I know you may have thought I was coming from a, a different perspective or a different view, or you may want some direct uh, some direct knowledge as far as what it is that you could do in your personal relationship. And I, I'm with that. Hit me up. We can talk about it. Uh, but I wanted to lay the foundation of relationships, all relationships of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And if the relationships that you're currently in, if they don't reflect that patience, that kindness, that one who can celebrate with you when you are being successful, the one who can mourn and cry with you when you are hurting, the one who can encourage you and uplift you and support you. And I know I can hear you now saying, well, Ebron, I haven't come across anybody like that. Then I would also submit to you that you must be traveling in the wrong circles. Because there are people out there that have a capacity to love. There are people out there who have 
a genuine intent and heart and, and not just looking to leverage and to take from you. But you have to grow in maturity about where you place people in your life. Uh, I was watching Barbershop the other day, uh, the one where they were doing like a ceasefire uh, in Chicago. I don't remember uh, what the name of that particular barbershop was. But at the end, um, this young lady and this young man, they're walking down the street. And he's kind of nerdy, kind of quirky. He's always trying to bring um, like a logical point or a very position from the traditional uh, masculine roles that you see played out in that barbershop. And the young lady tells him that she thinks that he's sexy and attractive and his views and all of that, you know, really appeal to her. And in the midst of that, where it was very certain, where it was very surface, it was very new. This guy jumps out with an, an I love you before they've gone on their first date. And what he said was, I came from a broken home, so I give affection too fast. And some people listening to me right now, because you so desire that love, you open yourself all the way up and then you get upset when people who didn't belong that close in your life hurt you. You have to learn. Here's an example of the tabernacle. There's outer court people. There's inner court people. There are holy place people. And then there are holy of holy place. The people who are your ride or die up and down. They can see you bear it all as far as your soul goes. And they nourish and cover and keep you and pray for you um, when in your broken areas. But you cannot take an outer court person and bring them into your holy place because you're upset that they hurt you when you should be upset that you misplaced them. So as I close out, uh, I think I have... How many more minutes left? Two minutes left. Um, I will say this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I am Andre Ebron, the host of the Drawing Board Podcast. I do hope in some way, shape, form, or fashion, as we have discussed relationships tonight, that you have received some value from the things that have been said. And as it relates to your love life, your romantic life, uh, your uh, familial life, those other relationships that you may have, know that the future of those relationships, they are not behind you. They are not before you, but they are within you. Please know that uh, we we have the drawing board um, experience will be coming up June 22nd. I'll bring you more information about that. We're going to have six dynamic speakers. We're going to have a violinist we're going to have an artist who's going to come in and paint while the show is going on. We're going to have a songstress who's going to sing and bless us with their voice. But it is definitely going to be an experience. It's going to be powerful, thought-provoking, challenging. It's going to move you from average to exceptional, from potential to performance, from, guess what, from effectiveness to greatness. I am Andre Ebron. God bless you.